welcome to this Choice Wisdom Full interview with Father Jonathan Melton, Episcopal priest and rector of St. James Church and School in East Dallas. As you heard from Episode 2 of Choice Wisdom, Father Jonathan has a unique skill. He's an amazing storyteller and a gifted connector who uses his gifts in service of sharing the lessons of his faith with his community. When he's not heading up a church or telling stories, Jonathan dabbles in guitar and stop-motion animation. He also loves to read, write, and hike, but his master class in life is raising four children with his wife, Rebecca. Let's take a listen to all Jonathan had to say during our interview for episode two. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today on the Choice Wisdom Podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Gail. And as you know, this is all about choices, right? Yes. And choices people are making that are creating the life that they want. So the big question I have for you and the choice that I'd love to focus on is what made you choose to become a priest? It is a great question. And as you, have, I, you and I have talked about choices before, my story with choice uh, involves my community, uh, my community helping me to choose what I might not have chosen for myself. So a little background about me. Um, I was raised in a Christian family. My dad is an Episcopal priest also. Uh, some folks think that probably helped me make a choice. I think it actually had the counter effect because you like grow up in it and you see all the stuff around it and what it involves. And it's not bad stuff. It's just hard stuff. And so you see the beautiful things and you also see the challenging things. But growing up in that environment, I spent a lot of time with the community of faith, a lot of time in churches. Our tradition, the Episcopal tradition is a sacramental tradition. So the like soul deep certainty I had when I was a little kid was that God, for whatever reason, has chosen to be with us. And that was just, I, I remember a mentor one time saying, like, where did you get that? Who showed you that? And I was like, I think that was just the gift that was the foundation of everything. I didn't know what that meant. I mean, who does when you're like a little kid? You grow up, you have opportunities to, I, I started imagining that like, well, God being present, Jesus saying, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, means God has some level of interest in us, which means maybe over the course of a life, I ought to reserve one, two, or three times for God to kind of knock on the door and say, hey, Jonathan, I'm calling your number. Why don't you come in and do this thing? And then an invitation when I was in my first year of college from a dear mentor, uh, Mother Mary Kate. She said, Jonathan, I think uh, you should come with us. She was taking a high school group to a community called Tze, a monastic, ecumenical monastic community, which just means there are Protestants with Catholics. There's no denominational difference. They're living together this religious life of simplicity and silence. And these high school kids were going, she wanted me to be a chaperone. And it was rhythms of prayer and work. So we were the work team. We did the dishes uh, for this meal this communal meal of 2,500 young adults through the course of the week we were there. And we prayed three times a day. And at first the prayer was boring and we looked forward to the work because that's where you could see yourself making a difference for your community. And then the prayer was amazing and you just counted the hours till you could get back. And I remember sitting on the side of the hill, kind of like we're sitting looking over this beautiful expanse. And it was like God took those moments that I imagined that God might call a person in the course of a life um, and the, that I'm imagining sort of as like dots on a lifespan. 
And it was like God took this big old permanent marker and just drew a line through all the dots. And it's like, no, all of life, every moment is this opportunity for a lived response. And it was like the fear of getting it wrong disappeared. And it was like being opened. That's the best way I can describe it. Did not mean I was going to become a priest. It meant I came back unafraid and open for whatever God had in mind. Then fast forward, I'm going to... uh Wheaton College, coming back home to my church, my home church at that time in South Bend, Indiana, and the community of faith I was a part of, the Episcopal Church there, they would say, Jonathan, it's so great to, to uh, have you back, spring break, summer break, that kind of stuff. How's seminary going? I'm not going to seminary. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going to be an econ major uh, with an interest in poli-sci. And they said, we think you're messing this up. We think you're doing it wrong. I said, I don't care what you think. And finally, they told uh, the bishop, Bishop Ed Little, who is a dear family friend and mentor. And he said, uh, Jonathan, your community tells me they think you have a calling to the priesthood. And I said, well, that's very interesting of them to think that. He's like, well, if you're not going to do that, what else are you going to do? And I sat with that question because I didn't know the answer. I wanted to write speeches a little bit. I was starting to get kind of disenchanted with some of what I learned about the political process and how it worked and everything. I said, I don't, I don't have an answer. And he said, well, tell you what, my experience, he said, if you, if you had any other kind of answer, I would say, go for it, do it. Uh, but if you don't have an answer and if your community has an answer, why don't you take steps uh, in this direction, and we'll trust the the spirit to to turn you around if it's if it's off. He said, "What I he said, my experience of discernment, vocation, the life of faith, is that uh, he said God will steer a ship, but it's really hard for God to do anything with an anchored stubborn ship." And he it was kind of indicating that I was the stubborn ship. So, <laughs> so that's was the beginning of my yes to ordained ministry, and the rest sort of just unfolded after that. That's really an amazing story. And it's love- wonderful to feel like you're known better than you know yourself. Yeah, because you actually, you listen to other people. You yes. know, because we, we hear about the call of God, right? Or God calls people to certain things. But what's interesting is, is a lot of times God will call through other people because we don't necessarily listen to our own inner wisdom. Or Absolutely. And then other people will come along and say, you know, you really do need to be in seminary and you really do need to be doing this. And you're like, oh, yeah, you guys are crazy. <laughs> I'm, I'm in economics and I'm going to be, you know, a political speech writer. Right. But you still get to write speeches. I still get to write speeches. <laughs> but I have to I have to stand up and be the front man for them, which is, is delightful. Uh, but that took some some growing into also. Uh, no, but but folks see, I mean, whatever blind spots I have will stay blind spots until I offer myself in community to the honest perspective and, and truth telling of friends. Not every friend, but you know, you have that circle of friends, you develop that circle of friends. Right. Where I, I was watching this interview recently with John Mayer, fabulous guitar player, musician. I adore his ability to do all kinds of stuff. And he said, you know, for him, like life depends on having a friend. And he gave the name of his friend. Uh, where he, when he feels overwhelmed in his life, when he feels stuck, he checks in with that person and is like, is it all right? And the person will be like, it is all right. And he just takes that faith and like makes his next step from there. That's really beautiful. And I think we all know it, 
at some level, but it's, it's just nice to hear it from somebody else. Absolutely. It's validation. Yeah. You get to be celebrated and it becomes a kind of confidence or faith or trust in the next step that that you're being called to. Trust. I think that's a great word too. You know, there's mm. faith and then there's trust. Yes. Do you want to take a drink of water before we go on to the next question? No, I'm good. You good? Thank okay. you. Okay. All right. So talk to us about what the day in the life is of an Episcopal priest <laughs> who is the rector of St. James Episcopal Church in Dallas. Oh, it is always fun. It is always joyful. I struggle with that question some because it's it's uh, a, not exactly a magic eight ball, but it's a little bit. I mean, we have a school, a Montessori school that we're connected to. So someday my day starts off uh, trying to listen to, engage a uh, hundred kids, act out a, a sample of a hundred kids, act out for the rest of the community a story of the Bible, make sense of it, uh, teach me songs that I'd forgotten from twenty years ago, and then I might go in and, and lead a staff meeting of. of 10 of us trying to map out a strategic course for uh, for the next semester or, or couple months, go to the home of a family who's just lost someone and start talking about next steps for commending that person's soul to God with funeral plans and arrangements, um, change clothes, go to the Austin Street Shelter and help distribute uh, meals to those in need and that decades long work that a lot of really amazing uh, saints in the Dallas area have been com- committed to for years. Uh, I think that's kind of what I I love most about it is the variety, and and also the the focus. The focus for me is whatever the environment, whatever the situation. I love improv, Tina Fey, all that kind of stuff. You don't <laughs> get to control the things you're given, but what you do with them and how you interpret them, receive them, and the story that you point to is. Um, kind of what makes you fun to play with in improv from what I understand. The more generous players uh, get, there, there's a, a depth of connection that happens in that. So um, so you don't know what you're going to be handed, but I know what my job is every time. My job is to be one of the ones that will help hold an open holy space, to be interested and to be interested in the direction of what God is doing in and through someone else's life or project or moment and to be the person who asks certain questions that I might be the only person who comes across that person with that particular set of questions to ask. Uh, what is God showing you lately? Um, what what has changed for you in the last six weeks in terms of how you have seen God's hand at work in this thing? And so being sort of a, a holy curious fool <laughs> to all kinds of adventures um, is the is the through line that makes sense of all that for me. I love that because I think what I think is so interesting about you because I've known different priests and everybody kind of has their own style, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of priests that I feel like they feel like they have to sort of like throw in Bible or something every third word just because, you know, they're the priest and they're supposed to do that. Yeah. I think they don't feel necessarily comfortable in the role that they're in without, you know, kind of standing with the book in hand. And you're interesting because that story you just told about when you were a youth and going to serve all those kids, you know, the the meals and then, you know, the prayer and it all coming together in the end. And you were like, I felt like I was good with it. I almost wonder if that's what made you comfortable with being a priest because you're not really just the you know the caller and the all the stuff that goes into being an Episcopal priest you're also a storyteller 
So that's oh. what I think is really unique because like every time the newsletter comes out every week, there's always a story in it from you. And you've inspired other people on the staff to do the same, which I think is interesting. But, you know, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and I think it's amazing. So, you know, I, where do you think your storytelling ability came from? Oh, that's a, an interesting question. I don't know. I think, so family gatherings when I was a kid were always really interesting. When we would go over to my grandparents on my, my mama's side, everyone at my grandpa's house had like the same seat picked out like it was like the same thanksgiving gathering happening for 25 years in a row right and it was very kind of scripted but socially awkward and all that kind of stuff the exception to that was my grandfather and at some point i realized he was making the communication of ordinary information more interesting than it needed to be and that that was a gift and I think I had kind of missed sort of the season of life where he was sort of famous for hosting parties and all this kind of stuff over at his house and his church community and all that kind of stuff. So I never got to see him do it fully in his prime. But there were just these little winks and nods that like, you can have fun with this and you can say what you're seeing. And um, and that's, there, there's also, in, going back to the church kind of context, this idea of like, we're sort of reporters of, and that, that to me goes back to my time in economics at Wheaton College, where I was being raised by Mennonite economists. They were um, the ones who were kind of forming me and shaping me. And I was a part of this project called Business as Mission. And the idea was there are some kind of vocations that people think of as holy or having the capacity to be for others, clergy maybe, um, teachers, they're like saints, right? Um, and then the idea was to go down the list until you got to the place where at least a little bit, uh, there's a, a little bit of element of eye roll, like bankers. And I know we're in a bank building right now. And I love bankers. There's nothing wrong with bankers. But there's there's an idea that like, well, they're just making money that maybe can at best be given charitably. They can't embody the faith in what they do. And our project came along and said, we don't think that's true. We think every every career has the potential of calling in it and that was my job and um and so then one day i had to go to this mennonite economist who had practiced this way of life with me for years and say i think i'm called to be a priest which was kind of like the opposite of what we'd been doing and looking for and he looked at me he took a deep breath and I remember norm said jonathan i see what your community sees i think you're going to be a great priest please make me this promise. You please don't let the rest of us off the hook, but let your priesthood be something that reminds us and infuses in us the conviction that God is up to something always. And so if you're going to do that, you have to be a storyteller. You have to see what God is doing in other people's lives and celebrate it. And the last thing I'd want, uh, someone to think is that there's a like a vocation for people who take their faith seriously and then we isolate them from the rest of the community <laughs> in a way that um forgets that we belong to each other i love that answer that's the most beautiful answer 
I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, hand you. to God, that is beautiful. Well, and it's you're so right because I think you know when I was speaking of you know there's priests have different styles. I think there is that sort of like ideas. Like, oh, he's a priest. You know, he's kind of weird. Or you know, he's over here in this little category of much more Christian than everybody else, and that's like your job. But you know, you're married. You've yeah. got four kids. You know, you're a human being like everybody else, and you deal with the same stuff that everybody else deals with. And I love that your stories reflect that, right? You know, let's tell, tell a story about something crazy your kids do, or, you know, yeah. you told a story uh, when we did your podcast about you and your brothers um, were like fighting over uh, everything when you were kids. Absolutely. Yeah, and you were really combative. <laughs> and I thought, okay, that's, so that's funny. No priest ever tells that story, you know? <laughs> it's, a, you know, that's just life. And like you say, God is everywhere in life. And he's in every person. Absolutely. So, and I don't think we do, whether clergy or not. I don't think we do in our ourselves any favors, like trying to like tidy ourselves up for God, as if God doesn't know or see. But the the gift of, I, I remember interrupting myself to tell a story is one of the reasons I guess I should be a, t- a storyteller because the thoughts don't hang together for me without stories. But uh, when Rebecca and I first, Rebecca is my wife. We have four kids together. When we first had. Um, Annie, who's our oldest, who just uh, turned 14, uh, which is a sentence that is hard for me to wrap my head around. But, um, you know, I have a 16 year old. I get it. (laughs) So going to church, um, I'm used to having this like quasi monastic experience on Sunday morning where I get there 30 minutes early and we're praying and everything. All of a sudden, my wife is telling me, like, church is not church anymore. I said, what do you mean? She said, I'm juggling this baby around my neck and I'm getting pulled on and uh, yelled at and all this stuff. Like it's it's like a, a little jungle in my pew and I'm not able to pray. And uh, and I've talked to lots of families who have had kind of similar experiences. And then at some point you realize maybe this is the opportunity to be present to what is really real and not my fantasy of what, what I thought it was supposed to be. And I can offer that to God too, and suddenly everything opens up again. And there, maybe, maybe Brother Lawrence back in the Middle Ages was right that he was the, the, this uh, saint famous for being a dishwasher uh, in the kitchen at his community. Who and he wrote this simple book that has become a, a classic for Christians of all stripes called uh, "Practicing the Presence of God." What if it's not limited to those times that I control or construct or meet my imagination for what should be? What if, what if that can be possible for every moment? That's interesting because the next question I was going to ask you, I think dovetails into what you just said. What would your life be like if you had chosen not to follow the priesthood? I don't know on one level. On the other hand, um, there are all kinds of ways of being that this strange life has given me that I'm like, oh, that'd be fun to like branch out and try some things. Um, I've always wanted to moonlight as a minor league baseball announcer. I don't know why. I think maybe that's a little bit of storytelling the life of community because my understanding of baseball is very kind of communal. I love the teamwork. Like if ball gets here, you go there, you kind of go. Um, I think maybe... Uh, being a middle school teacher, my wife is a middle school teacher now, but when we first met, she could not imagine life with middle schoolers. But we love the openness of that season and 
Uh, and then I think I'd also like to uh, write children's books. I haven't given up on that one. I want to write some children's books before my imagination fails me on it. Well, you do have kids in your yes. charge. The Montessori school, a little younger than middle school, but, you know, still kind of took that one off the list. Yeah. Like book, like you say, can pretty much just follow anybody, right? Anybody I've got can write editors book. in my house. They, they will tell me if it's a good idea or not. <laughs> if it's good or not. <laughs> so, you know, that's two of them. And then all you got to do is just call the Rough Riders or something and say, you know what? I'm ready to moonlight as your color announcer. Right. Bring me on. Just Baseball is the most boring sport in the world. We all oh have to agree. I love baseball. So get, don't get me wrong. But I mean, watching it is like watching paint dry sometimes. It so is. You need a good announcer. That's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. My favorite memories of baseball were like when we lived closer to Chicago, when my wife and I were in the Wheaton area, um, listening to rain delays of Chicago Cubs baseball. Um, because you have to tell stories. Yeah. You, you have to do something, something with the time. And You'd be great I, at that. They they were talking one day about how like well what if the Cubs got this showing my age like King Griffey Jr. The Cubs had no possible play at King Griffey Jr. But you can tell the story and wonder because you've got an hour and a half rain delay. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Choice Wisdom Podcast. This podcast was created by me, your host, Gail Goodman Lynch and is produced and edited by the amazing team at MZ Studios in Dallas. The opinions expressed by my guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owner or producers of this podcast. The information shared on Choice Wisdom is intended to inspire you, but not presented as legal or medical advice. Choice Wisdom is part of the Co-Equal Network, copyright 2023, all rights reserved. For more information, please visit choicewisdompodcast.com. Having no regrets forever and ever, always young, forever young.